Hello, music friends. Thanks again for joining me today here at Rescott Creative. Before I get started on the big audiovisual debate, please go ahead and subscribe to my channel or my blog or click follow on your podcast app because that helps me to continue to make content for you in the future. All right, let's delve right in. The audiovisual debate is by no means something new. For a long time, we've had learners that favor one sense or the other, and teachers over the years have tried to adapt to accommodate both needs. So I'm not here to judge if you have one specific way you learn better than another, but I'm just here to provide kind of some information and a little bit of history uh, about both and how we can move forward. So first of all, on the auditory side, this is actually the first of those two senses that a person will develop. Babies in utero can actually already start to hear noises, whether it's like their mom's digestive system or their mother's voice and eventually even other people's voice while they're still in the womb. Now, the eyesight, in contrast, uh, is not very developed even at birth. It's probably babies can only see about a foot away, if that, and a lot of it is still very fuzzy beyond that. They're very nearsighted and they really like bright colors because softer colors will be harder for them to distinguish. So when my daughter was born, my sister who's, who's an art uh, historian, she suggested we put up some of these bright kind of big shapes on, in our daughter's nursery so she could look at those. Um, and obviously a lot of you have probably already heard that it's good to read to babies even when they're still inside the womb. And as a result, babies who become then toddlers, they will start to acquire their native language solely based on listening, using that auditory sense, which is incredible. They are basically learning by osmosis what it takes adults such a, a bigger effort to, to do. And they're just, these young children are listening to their environment and they're imitating sounds. And at first, babies have the capacity to imitate languages from, or sounds from any language, whether it's maybe even a clicking kind of sound from um, a tribal language or the U in French or U. There's a lot of different kind of sounds um, that these young children can make. And as they start to realize, oh, these are the sounds I hear more often, they zero in on those. And over time, it does become harder for them to imitate other sounds. On the um, visual front, we don't really start reading until we're probably more around the age of five. We do start, some children start a little earlier. Uh, you know, children that are age three, four, um, they're learning their letters. They're learning a little bit what those sounds, those letters make. But again, this is obviously not at birth. This is more like three or four years old. Um, but by five or six, children are learning how to read. And at that point, it does seem like for a lot of people, the visual sense does become more dominant. However, not for everyone, but for many people. Now, if we want to talk a little bit, how does this first language learning apply to other uh other areas of study, for example, uh, second language acquisition, it's very helpful if we can teach children young how to speak another language. And I have the privilege that I get to teach um, children beginning at age two, and I've taught all the way up through adults for second language learning. I speak English, French, and some Spanish. And I actually didn't start French until I was in high school. But I did study it extensively in high school and college and graduate school and did spend some time in France. So that really helped develop my ear for French. Um, but 
at the moment, I appreciate that I'm getting to teach very young children how to speak French because they can listen. And I'm always blown away by the way they can imitate the sounds and the accents right away. Which, again, as an adult, we struggle to maybe make some of these pronunciations like like the one I, they, that I said earlier, or even for some reason can be tricky for Americans. Um, for French, sometimes they have a little bit of a harder time maybe with the sh sound or something like that, um, or the i versus e type sound. So anyway, these young ones are like sponges. They pick up on foreign languages very easily. Um, now, as they get older, just like when they're starting to read in their native language, they eventually start to want to see their secondary language in visual form as well. And it is important that we eventually address these kind of visual concepts within language, especially like vocabulary lists, or in our native language, it may be more like spelling tests, um, eventually vocab lists as well. And we like to do some grammar. Again, it's a little bit later in the grade school. After they already know how to read, then we can look at how sentences are broken up. And especially in the middle school or high school and collegiate levels, we definitely want to look at how a language is built, whether it's our native language or a secondary language, if we're studying that. Now, how does this apply to music? Uh, very, very similar. This is probably why I love both second language learning and I love music learning because I find that they are uh, very linked and similar processes for people. I was taught with the Suzuki method, which was developed in the mid 20th century. Before that, musicians had used mostly the traditional method where you teach children to read music around fourth grade or so, which in, uh, in America, that's around age nine or 10. And that's around, you'd already know how to read words, and that's a good time to start learning how to read music. You might even start them a little bit younger than that if they can already read words. Suzuki was revolutionary because uh, the founder, Shiniki Suzuki, was a Japanese pedagogue, and he thought if these very young children can learn to imitate sounds in their native language, they should also be able to imitate sounds musically. And at that point, he revolutionized the music education system by having even young preschool children learn how to play instruments. So I started the violin when I was two and a half, and obviously I was not reading at that point. But I would listen to my mother, who was also a musician, and my grandmother and aunts, and I would imitate them. I would listen to my songs on the CD player or <laughs> whatever it was at that era. <laughs> Try not to date myself here. And then I would imitate that. So I developed a very strong auditory sense from a very young age. And I've relied heavily on it ever since. So when people ask me, what is my dominant sense? I am heavily auditory dominant. I do think that made speaking foreign language a lot easier for me because I was able to pick up on some of these sounds that may be more difficult for other second language learners. However, that does not mean that if you are a visual learner that you cannot be proficient in music or second language acquisition. I've known many, many competent professionals in both of those fields who say they are visually dominant and they tend to be very good at analyzing the language or analyzing the music theory. I believe that grammar and music theory are very similar and people who gravitate towards one will probably also gravitate towards the other. And it really, those things give you kind of a bigger picture of how does a language function or how does the music, the language of music, how does it function? And having that kind of visual representation, maybe with the graphs, um, 
and definitely having some images, whether it's reading your notes on the staff or in second language acquisition, having your vocab lists with pictures really helps to set that in people's brains. One of the good things about those um, visual representations of vocabulary words is that we don't always have to refer back to our native language. We can look at the picture and already figure out what it is without having to actually think in our native language. And that really does help our uh, secondary language acquisition uh, become more impactful. So I think that when it comes to this debate, you can even see it play out in modern day social media because there's always the debate between, I don't know, the Twitter fans who say, we love to read the text, or maybe those are the same people that are reading this on my blog right now, and you want to see it written out for you, or you want to print it out on your computer or have you know, the hard copy of your book, and you like to see it right there. Other visual learners also like to have it in video format. So if you're watching this on YouTube or Instagram, you probably are one of those people that really likes to see my face. You like to interact kind of with this atmosphere. You want to know what the person who's talking to you looks like, and that helps you to learn. If you are an auditory person, you may not care <laughs> what I look like. You just want to listen to the content to learn, and you may be driving in your car or doing dishes or laundry and multitasking, and that is wonderful. It's a great way to learn. As many of you know, I am auditory, so I do a lot of podcast listening. That's how I have actually um, done a ton of my, my studies kind of as an adult, and I think it's very useful. But I want to be very clear that it's important we don't judge people for whether they are only more visual or they're more auditory because we all have a strong point. Instead, I would like if we can learn from each other to better understand these fields of language and music in a more holistic sense. And I think that makes it a lot easier for all of us. So if you've enjoyed this content, again, please subscribe to my blog, even if you're an auditory person, because I will sometimes post extra auditory content there. So rescottcreative.com. If you are visual, obviously, please subscribe to rescottcreative.com or my YouTube channel, and hopefully that will help you not miss an episode. I do a wide range of topics related to music, and sometimes it's literature or music and language, um, different teaching topics, and I would love to hear your feedback, so don't forget to leave comments, um, whether it's on YouTube or on your Facebook page, or you can shoot me an email. And stay tuned, and I hope to see or hear you next time.